So today we're going to um, look further into um, the matter of karma, uh, which although is um, wholly inconceivable or its full understanding is, in my understanding, um, available only to those, to beingness in seventh density and up, the lords of karma, as guardians in eighth density, a Buddha, someone like Nityananda, that has, you know, near omniscience. Only they, uh, I think, can really fully comprehend karma, and I don't. But, and I'm not a Buddhist uh, adept, um, whatever I am, uh, so I don't, other Buddhist, other strict Buddhist teachers will have different answers, and these are just uh, my perspectives um, to be considered, if you like. And so there are a lot of um, deep questions here, and I'm going to read them one by one or one at a time, and then uh, give some answers or commentary. Uh, the preface to the discussion is that um, although karma is ultimately beyond our capacity to fully comprehend, we can understand more, and it really is inevitable, as we understand some, that we may be seeking more uh, to know more deeply. And so we end up pushing into areas that uh, are beyond our abilities uh, to comprehend, and yet we can um, shine light uh, further and further and it, it may be important as we evolve on the path. So, the first question I'll read, uh, and again, this, these are very um, advanced perspectives on some Buddhist um, history and um, the Buddhist perspective on karma. So question one, why is there not one reaction similar to the one original action, i.e., if the person killed another person, then they are killed as well in one life, and that's the end of that karma. As an example, and this is Buddhist history, in the case of Mahamogalana, who was one of the two chief disciples of Gautama, he killed, the story is, he killed his blind parents by beating them to death in one of his past lives, and then, the story is, he spent millions of years in the hell realm, and then had over 200 successive lifetimes where he was killed uh, by being beaten by others, and even after being a very psychic, powerful arahant, which he was considered, um, you know, in this lifetime, uh, at the time of Gautama, he could not stop the karma and had to be killed again by, beaten, by being beaten up to death, which is what happened. So goes the Buddhist history. Um, <clears throat> number one, it was a big shock to me when I first read that about uh, Buddhist history of his life, his death, that he was beaten to death by an angry mob of people in the town for some reason even though he was a strict, moral, uh, following-the-rules monk, even though he had psychic power, even though he was considered an arahant, and pretty much um, <clears throat> at the top level of disciple of Gautama, along with the other, who is Shariputra, who is more on the love line, while uh, Moggallana more on the wisdom line, and uh, great magical cities and powers. Uh, it was a big shock to me to hear that even someone like that at that level could um, have a bad death and obviously a serious heavy karmic return in that final incarnation. Now, <clears throat> Gautama, I, I mean, the, the takeaway is that even uh, the, the, that um, liberation 
of Complete and Perfect Enlightenment, uh, which is by um, cutting the roots of uh, desire that comes by cutting the root of ignorance, um, the final three fetters in the ten fetters being broken, that's Arahan, and the three final fetters are self-conceit, which is really ahamkara, or a fashioning of uh, subjectivity, selfhood, by mind, fashioning, sense of separative self, or dualistic consciousness, and restlessness, which I think is really metaphysical, or basic uh, instability of seven ray energies, and basic avidya, tenth fetter, uh, ignorance, or um, the cause of fashioning, <clears throat> the basic um, blind spot, or the bla the basic um, uh, cause in the ten in in the twelve nidanas of the twelve uh, chains of dependent origination that goes one to the other, one to the other. Uh, the root one way of looking at the twelve is that avidya starts the whole cycle rolling, the cycle of birth and death, or incarnation, or evolution through the octave. You know, one can even say that avidya is <clears throat> incarnation in the octave itself, that there's a basic uh, ignorance or not knowing that's incumbent upon having beingness in the octave, aside from those who come and go, or from beyond the octave and, and come in uh, and leave. Now, <clears throat> The that basic ignorance is um, the cause of all karma, karmic root because it's the basic karmic root because it's the cause of any kind of um, fashioning in mind that or consciousness that uh, leads to any kind of attachment or even leads to consciousness itself. So anyway, getting to the highest level, what enlightenment is is not necessary in the answer here, but <clears throat> even one who has cut uh, a vidya uh, in, in the body is still subject to some kind of residual karma. And Gautama called that enlightenment with remainder, meaning the remainder being the karma of having a body that hasn't yet died. And obviously, if this story is true, which I think it is, more or less, Mahamogalana was uh, still subject to some kind of final karmic return. Why there isn't one reaction or one consequence, really, karmic consequence that is identical to um, the uh, original karmic cause. So if he killed his parents, if that's the story, that's the story, he killed his blind parents, uh, why wasn't he a child killed by... Uh, why wasn't he a blind child killed by parents in a future lifetime and that ended at all? Uh, <clears throat> as far as I can tell, first of all, Gautama said that one-to-one -one, uh, karmic return is just not the way karma works. <laughs> it's just not that way. Uh, because karma is... The, the physical manifestation or here reaction or the consequence or karmic return in physical phenomena um, isn't caused wholly, completely, by the physical deed or behavior. It's the mind that created the physical behavior, in this case, his killing his parents. It, it's the consciousness or the nature of the intention 
the nature of the mind complex as a whole, the nature of the desire and intention, its distortion basis, and all associated tendencies in mind that produced that action, that produces any action, whether it's particularly speech or behavior, right? So there's thought, word, and deed. Thought, which is not simply conscious thinking about what I want to do, but deeper mind issue levels of uh, intentionality, values, core beliefs. Core beliefs, core values lead to um, the fashioning of intentional set, meaning what I desire, desire. So desire comes from ultimately core beliefs and values, seems to me. And then um, that set of desires or intentional set produces speech or word and action or physical behavior, deed, thought, word, and deed. Thought leads to word and deed. The word and deed isn't what makes the karma or is not wholly what makes the karma. It's the mind. And so I assume in this case, very simply, the mind that would kill your parents, <laughs> particularly blind parents who are handicapped, the mind that would do that or has uh, the has that desire uh, that for, that fashioned that desire and intentional set and spectrum, it's a set of of intentions. It's not just one. It's a uh, the I, the thought I will kill my blind parents now <clears throat> comes from a, a spectrum of intention. It seems to me. Uh, parents are not important, they're no good, I'm better without them, um, I deserve to do this, they deserved what I give to them, um, it's righteous that I do so, it's without penalty that I do so, <clears throat> this is a benefit to me that I do so, um, etc. So there's a whole range of beliefs and um, values uh, and even desires that come out in a particular word and deed. It's that complex of beliefs and values and the intentional spectrum that, that generates the karmic return. And I would guess, in Buddhism, killing your parents is considered like one of the cardinal sins, what would be called comparable to cardinal sin. Killing, uh, shedding the blood of a Buddha, uh, disrupting the, har the harmony of the Sangha, uh, killing your parents, or considered super-duper um, bad karmic causes. And they're super-duper bad karmic causes because of the mind complex as a whole that generates those behaviors. And the mind complex as a whole that generated those behaviors, um, I guess, is so distorted that... Um, it cannot be or isn't, it, it wouldn't be rectified or lead to or, or resolved or uh, dissolved or released or completed <clears throat> um, without multiple uh, instances of traumatic catalyst coming back. Multiple, the, the traumatic catalyst is him being beaten to death or the story that he spent millions of years in hell and had 200 lives or is also beaten to death. Uh, it may not be necessary meaning if uh, karma is not only fashioned or karmic return because when we say karma what we're talking about is phenomenal appearance the manifestation any manifestation 
whether it's um, a incarnation in a body in a particular dimension, or the nature of the body, or the nature of the mind complex uh, associated with the body in that particular dimension, the particular unique con configuration of that mind complex, like uh, high intelligence, low intelligence, high compassion, low compassion, high capacity, low capacity, um, just is the same as you know a very healthy, strong body versus a weak, sickly body. So the, uh, <clears throat> the, the configurations of mind and body and dimensional uh, origin, dimensional placement, these are all what we call, would be called karmic consequence, but these are catalysts also for further evolution. So karmic consequence is catalyst. If it's traumatic, in general, uh, like this, like uh, Mahamogalana, uh, we can assume that the cause was highly distorted. And the more highly distorted the cause, the longer it will probably take an entity to go beyond the distorted um, deep mind configuration. And so that's why um, one it, it may be possible sometimes that there's one karmic return uh, needed only for um, one karmic transgression of word and deed. Um, in the case of Gautama getting a thorn in his toe, he said that was because he killed someone in a past life, and everybody was shocked. And now again, we have no way of saying that this is not a Buddhist, um, you know, uh, historiography or, or uh, fantasy, mythical, fic mythical history. Uh, but if it is the case, it can certainly, it, it certainly fits a, a, a sutra teaching called the. Um, Got the name, but we've talked. I've talked about it before. The salt in the cup. Gautama saying that for an ordinary person, uh, karma is experienced as a teaspoon of salt in a small cup. For an enlightened person, arhan, karma is experienced as a teaspoon of salt in the ocean, meaning it's um, super dissolved, or um, uh, is subtle. In, in the nature of the intensity of the karmic return uh, in relation to the expansion of consciousness or mind or awareness or the nature of the beingness of a completely, you know, of a completed being. So even though Ma Mogalana was considered a completely and perfectly enlightened Arahant, um, I guess the idea would be that uh, the intensity of the distortion or um, you know, wrong action, but particularly it's not the action, it's the depth of the distortion in the deep mind uh, of, again, I would say, belief and values and the spectrum of intention associated with that action was so heavy, heavily distorted, compacted, that um, one karmic return didn't suffice. And also, who knows how he responded to those karmic returns. Maybe he doubled down on aggression. And that happens too. So how one, re one handles any particular traumatic catalyst, which is a karmic return, uh, determines or influences um, the next subsequent karmic return and its degree of trauma, traumaticity, how traumatic it may be, a little or a lot. <clears throat> so... It's all very subtle there, but 
it's it's the inner it's the degree of distortion I would say of the inner basis in mind uh, the configuration of mind that led to the speech and deed that um, determines the quantity and quality of the karmic result and it just doesn't happen that there's one-to-one because the nature of karmic formation is not the single action. Now, so, um, a simple answer why there isn't one reaction, it's not called a reaction, it's really, let's say, karmic, um, karmic resultant phenomena, uh, resultant karmic consequence. There isn't one that's similar or identical or um, uh, one for a one uh, uh, to the karmic cause because the karmic cause is multiple or complex and uh, variable and then it's the reactions to it uh, to its uh, ripening as you know the cause itself is complex and multi-leveled in mind <clears throat> and its ripening actually if you really want to get subtle isn't also occurring with the uh, observed or identified karmic return that we'll say oh okay you know um, he stubbed his toe he got Gautama got a thorn in the toe only um, and that was the karmic return for having killed somebody in a past life, and that's comparable because he's a he's a Buddha. But Malgalana was pretty close. But Gautama having killed that guy is of a different level than Malgalana beating his parents. And the the transformation of mind since the original action of killing that one person for Gautama was completely different than the karm, you know, the transformation of mind or transformation of being of Mogalana, even though he became an Arhan, since that original action. But actually, um, karma, the karmic return, when we identify a single um, phenomena, like the thorn in the toe, as the karmic return of Gautama's killing of somebody in a past life, that's actually short-sighted too. In fact, all karma, karma, all, all causal, all causal basis influences everything subsequent instantaneously in in countless subtle ways that are that are mental spiritual not necessarily physically manifest so there's karmic return um, I would say um, um, initiated sub at mind and spirit levels in very completely perhaps unrecognized ways from from the original action anyway, in, 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 in all cases, meaning it starts affecting one's being right away, even though it's normally not recognized. So that's question, answer number one. Uh, <clears throat> question number two, I'll read it and then comment. Similar to the question above, um, certain actions have a stronger resultant or karma. For example, Buddha says that if you perform dana giving generosity do it with joy knowing that it would knowing knowing that it would result in great karma merit and unprompted meaning without someone asking you to do 
this would make the karma much stronger and potent, according to this read of what Gautama said, versus giving without joy and prompted, meaning prompted by another to do so. Buddha also said that gifts offered to the virtuous and noble ones yield greater results. So I guess in general, what are the characteristics or properties of karma that makes it weaker or stronger and more or less active? <clears throat> Again, uh, I am not a Buddha, so I give you only my uh, poor, limited understanding answer. Uh, and But as, uh, as in the answer to the previous question, um, a, a, th- this more sophisticated, hopefully, uh, analysis of karmic causality itself is why certain actions have stronger or weaker resultant or consequential manifestations. So what makes karma stronger or weaker, more or less active, again, <clears throat> is the um, multi-leveled complex of causal basis, which includes uh, spiritual perspective or orientation, meaning if a soul is, an entity is positive at the, be- at the base of its beingness, but it's working on the negative side, like Crowley, right? <clears throat> Let's look at Crowley as uh, much as we dare. Uh, a soul that presumably was positive at base of beingness, doing hard left work in, this in-, in that past incarnation, at the spiritual level, there's some pretty heavy distortion um, in the rejection of orientation at the base of beingness. At the mental level, there's some pretty heavy distortions in um, core beliefs and values. <clears throat> Whatever he did, um, he had the core value associated that uh, considered that righteous or worthy. Uh, or uh, goodly for his own benefit, maybe even for the benefit of those that he harmed, or whatever he did, he surely had the view that that was appropriate or right action. That's a pretty heavy mental, spiritual uh, distortion complex, it seems to me. And so then, out of... um, And then the other views of self... What are the views of self associated with the actions? Well, the nature of the self view, the nature of um, his view of path, the nature of his view of right action, his values, mental, physical, spiritual set of values, all of those fed, all of those are the causal basis of his activity, like anyone. Um, the mental, spiritual, the deep mind, the deep personal mind, again, which I'm saying is values <clears throat> and core beliefs, particularly associated with self, uh, second chakra basis, right? The second chakra orange ray basis of third ray uh, interpersonal dynamics or interpersonal perspectives, which are generally conscious, but are consciously known somewhat, Meanwhile, their deeper roots are generally unconscious. Um, the, <clears throat> the nature of um, that whole complex of uh, spiritual orientation or beliefs about spiritual orientation or dis- spiritual complex distortions and mind complex distortions, 
that is the the causal basis of the karma <clears throat> and its variability uh, is the basis of why karmic return is weaker or stronger um, more or less and so <clears throat> in the case of giving or generosity um, Gautama saying that if you do giving or it's called dana you know and so dana is critical it's basically generosity and there's a hindu saying that i like that i found recently they said something like <clears throat> whatever is not given is lost <clears throat> which is uh whatever you don't consciously give uh <clears throat> you will lose this is material giving whatever is not whatever is not consciously deliberately given in the life will be lost at death and that's basically the case for any kind of material accumulation. But <clears throat> uh, the mind and, and the deeper complexes are not lost at death. So <clears throat> the idea that uh, generosity given from the mental causal basis of joy, including knowledge that it may result in great karma or more karma or merit and um, uh, that <clears throat> occurring autonomously rather than as the result of somebody telling you to do so has a greater karmic return than doing it grudgingly or with an angry or dark and uh, self-centered state of mind or not knowing or and not knowing its result having no awareness, and being prompted. And so, <clears throat> stronger karma, the, the questioner says, karma is therefore more stronger and potent when it's when there's giving with joy. And this is uh, her, her read, so there may be some mistakes here too, but doing with joy, or at least with a cheerful freedom attitude in mind, freely given, happily given, and uh, knowing it results in karma or merit uh, and um, arising naturally from one's own desire rather than um, following somebody's order to do so that then leads to greater merit or greater um, positive karmic return and also yes giving to the virtuous and the noble or giving to the wise and the worthy giving to those who are um, most self-purified, <clears throat> helping the helpers, helping those um, who have committed themselves to purification and benefit to all, also yields greater merit. Uh, because the configurations of mind that are associated with those perspectives have a stronger karmic force. And particularly one can say that um, there's greater love and wisdom in the mind causal basis of the action. <clears throat> the, the appreciation of um, the other who's being given to, the appreciation of the action associated with joy is associated with love. The awareness or recognition of a positive karmic return or merit that does indeed come from free, natural, true, sincere giving, knowing that is greater wisdom. Unprompted is also <clears throat> associated actually with six chakra. Uh, I do this because I have faith in myself knowing that this is 
good. I have enough faith in myself to trust myself, to know that my sense that it's good is true, and I'll do it. It's true that it's good to give. It's true that I believe in this. I truly, I validate my view that it's good to give. That's unprompted. And that's very much six chakra. And that's very much the six two band. And that's very much associated with some subtle uh, faith in self. Uh, to validate one's sense that it's good to give. And it's good to give freely. And so, in all of the, in these three um, um, aspects of the mental configuration, that's the causal basis of the giving. What we see first is uh, joy or a heart quality, fourth ray associated quality of kindliness, metta, you know, sympathetic joy. Um, if I give and make you happy, I'm happy. I'm happy you're happy when I give. It's nice. I feel good that you feel good. That's uh, sympathetic joy, uh, upekka, and, or I guess mudita, mudita, sympathetic joy, but it's also metta or loving kindness or just a basic warm hearted, caringful, caring attitude, heart very much fourth ray. Knowing karmic return or how things work karmically somewhat is wisdom. And having enough faith in self to validate oneself that this is right action and good to do is a sixth chakra. So there are other chakra relations, but I think that fits pretty well. And those perspectives um, strengthen the uh, positive or... um, wholesome nature of the my mental causal basis of the uh, action of giving. And so it's not the properties of karma that are stronger or weaker. It's the causal basis in mind, which is the perspective of the mind of the one acting that, that makes stronger or weaker karmic return. Likewise, giving to the virtuous and the noble, the wise and the worthy, uh, comes from uh, all uh, fourth, fifth, sixth chakra activation or um, development. So, the you can say the degree of non-distortion or the degree of love, green ray, wisdom, blue ray, and awareness of totality or completion or whole wholeness or unity, sixth ray, which is really faith, actually or includes faith, the degree to which those three higher chakras are in play in the formation <clears throat> of the mind configuration that's the causal basis, that determines the um, greater strength uh, of a positive karmic return. And the degree to which uh, action is done by first, second, third chakra blockage and deep mind conditions that maintain or seek even seek further blockage <clears throat> that that generates a stronger um, you know disharmonious karmic return so I, I can't read your the new questions that come along the way so let me go through these questions um, <clears throat> side question if I know that it's going to create good karma merit and do something because of that like charity or helping someone, is not that prompted or spontaneous. Meaning, is it prompted, is it quote, prompted, if one knows that the consequence of giving is good karma or merit? Um, I.e., here's the question. 
there are people who do not think and are not aware of what they do is very wholesome or that, that what they do is very wholesome and will create good karma and do it anyways. So is that considered more spontaneous than knowing and being aware of the result of the action and performing it? Which action creates a stronger wholesome karma, meaning, or in parentheses, the one with the knowledge might also have expectations or hope in it, or thus less pure? <laughs> uh, let me detangle. Uh, the basic question here is knowing that, um, let's just say, certain actions generally have a beneficent karmic return, or it's good to give, meaning there will be harmonious uh, consequence to this particular activity, uh, which is called the, the accumulation of good karma, which really means wholesome mental states, wholesome mind configuration, um, helpful non-distorted mind configuration, the strength of non-distorted mental configuration, deep values and beliefs, basically, you know, values and beliefs associated with love and truth, love and wisdom, and, um, you know, awareness of reality, unity. Um, the degree to which uh, one's deep mind is aligned with uh, green and blue and indigo, or the degree to which green and blue and indigo chakra activation um, plays, uh, has uh, refashioned the deep mind for any individual. Um, the degree to which that has happened um, is actually uh, the, na the, the, the cause of merit and also a result of merit. And so knowing that uh, good begets good or knowing karmic law somewhat uh, that giving will create good karma or merit and I'm doing it um, that knowing in and of itself is certainly not prompting, because prompting, the word prompting means um, being, um, being told or influenced by another to do so. I, I'm prompted to do, I'm prompted to give means some external force influences me so that I give. So obviously we're not talking about prompting, we're talking about the degree of understanding karmic law uh, and gaining benefit from a particular action, how does that influence the you know the causal causal basis and the result, and is that somehow not spontaneous or is that sort of selfish, right? That's really the question. Knowing that giving can or often generally creates good karma merit leads to good uh, consequence. Knowing that, is that, um, is it selfish to give with that knowing? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. <laughs> or somewhat, or not somewhat. Depends. It's all, it's not a yes or no, these things. So, there's always selfish intent, there's always selfishness in any uh, mind <laughs> that believes in self. Anyone who's not finished with the vidya has a sense of self. A, 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 an ignorance-based mistaken sense of self. 
any being in the octave who's still cycling in samsara um, has uh, a sense uh, a an illusory um, ignorance-based uh, sense of self. It may be a sense of self that includes deep commitment to love and wisdom and, and continued development. Or it may be a sense of self that enjoys uh, harming other and is sadistic. So, um, <clears throat> the sense of self basically uh, is, is of, in and of itself not a cause of selfishness. And the nature of um, the karmic, the, the causal conditions of mind that um, lead to, uh, that, that, that formulate any particular uh, karmic uh, result or return um, may be more or less selfish uh, even when there's awareness of karmic law, uh, because um, any action uh, comes from some kind of sense of self. <laughs> and so, the, yes, there are people who do not think and are not aware that what they do is very wholesome and will create good karma and do it anyways. Uh, you see, it, it's, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of karma, I think that action um, has that, that it's the moral valuation of the action itself that creates the karma. It's actually the moral valuation of the mind complex that generated the action that has a greater that that is gr of greater determining to the uh, karmic return than the action itself. And so Gautama killed a man, and it caused a thorn in the, and it resulted in a thorn in the toe. Moggallana killed his parents, and it resulted in multiple lifetimes of, of pain and agony. And other people, um, you know, do their own karmic cause, and have unique karmic result. So it's not the the action, um, but the mind that performs the action, and the complex, the, the unique configuration of the multiple levels of mind, the multiple um, distortions or non-distortions or the, the totality of the configuration of the mind that causes um, the nature of the result. And so uh, knowing that certain actions lead to, uh, generally, are associated with merit and, quote, good karma, obviously it's not prompted. It's really a matter of knowing uh, a, a law somewhat. It may be spontaneous. It may not be spontaneous, meaning um, a person may do it after thinking, or they may do it, you know, without much thinking. But um, the very awareness of karmic law, in and of itself, um, doesn't um, necessarily. Um, it isn't necessarily associated, uh, it doesn't necessarily limit um, or, or degrade from some kind of positive karmic return. And that's why Gautama said <laughs> that awareness of uh, the value of, uh, of karma, of good karma or giving for merit and a harmonious karmic return is an important uh, basis for the giving. It's better to know the law than not.
And knowing the law doesn't mean I'm um, insincere in the giving. One can enjoy the giving and also know the karmic law, and that doesn't harm anything. So uh, the question, which action creates a, a stronger, wholesome karma, the one with knowledge may have expectations and hope and less pure? Yeah, sure, if there's some expectation. But you see, expectation is not the same as hope. <laughs> if you expect that some may happen, um, that's reasonable. <laughs> I mean, I expect something is going to happen, and I imagine that something good comes from something good, or a harmonious mind conditions lead to harmonious karmic result. Uh, hope is not particularly selfish. Um, you know, it's really a question of the nature of purity. Uh, knowing karmic law um, in and of itself is not selfishness. <laughs> doing something knowing or sensing that there's going to be some positive return to me is in and of itself not selfish because there are other things that one can do um, that that um, you know may have some karmic return positive return um, that are not as, that, that you know are not giving so you didn't have to give but it's true of course and you can find this in certain sanghas that there are people who um, are very materialistic and give money to the temple uh, because they want to be rich in every future life. It's very common in Chinese temples, actually, Buddhist, in the Chinese Buddhist community globally or East, East Asia and Asia. It's not unusual that there's some rich folks there who've been, um, who may have quite, quite good karma, but they are very materialistic and they give a lot um, because they want to be rich in every subsequent lifetime. <laughs> Okay, now, um, the next question is, how do we exhaust a karma in a lower or hell realms? Because I assume there's no physical body and physical death to end a stream or karma, do we have free will in the lower realms as well? And based on our actions or mental states in those realms, the karma changes and can be exhausted. Or even if we have free will, there's a certain amount of suffering that needs to be experienced for the karma to be exhausted, regardless of our mental state or action at the time. Is there anything we can do if we end up in a hell realm to get out or shorten the time in that realm? Um, you know, the exhaustion of karma <laughs> um, is not something that we can fully comprehend also, meaning how can I fully exhaust my karma right now and when will it end? You don't know. Um, at a higher level of awareness, you might, you can know. Um, but the fact that there's no physical body um, doesn't matter at all. Um, the, um, it's uh, a departure from the lower astral like we see in the Howard Storm near-death experience um, doesn't require a physical death to move um, within different aspects of the astral plane. So he was in an astral body and going first to a realm of great suffering and torment, uh, he didn't have to die there to leave. And so um, it was simply a dimensional placement or sub-dimensional placement with an associated environment, with um, mind-resonant 
community of beings in that sub-dimension. That was the karmic return. Yes, he has free will. Um, uh, yes, it got. Uh, he was able to get out. Um, yes, there was a certain amount of suffering before he could get out. Uh, and you can say that uh, the karmic return that you cannot avoid is the karmic return that um, must, that, that in some ways is beyond free will to uh, alleviate. However, it's all very complicated. So he was there for a certain amount of time. In that time, initially, uh, he was tormented and fighting back. As he was fighting back, um, the demonic, entities or negative entities uh, or whatever they were, thought forms and suffering, you know, wraiths of hell, uh, were happily fighting him too. And so the more he fought, the more they got from it as a kind of uh, parasitism and uh, kept fighting and tormenting him. Slowly he became exhausted and they lost interest when he stopped fighting. Now that represents some kind of exhaustion uh, of the karma that he couldn't change. That exhaustion of the body and him stopping to fight was associated with the exhaustion of the karma that was outside his free will to change. And so, as the body became tired, the uh, torment diminished and the mental state changed from one of aggression to one of first exhaustion and hopelessness uh, then to some sense uh, a germinal sense of hopefulness that there could be a way out then to some kind of spiritual receptivity or spiritual seeking to um, be receptive to how it was he could get out and uh, Yes, if you end up in a hell realm, we can say don't fight, but that don't fight doesn't necessarily um, determine how long um, you'll be tormented without fighting. Because in the case of Howard Storm, as he lost interest in fighting, uh, they as he as he became exhausted, he was unable to fight and um, surrendered to the torment. That torment continued. Uh, however, it then ended because they lost interest as he wasn't fighting back. Now, um, that was a change of mind, but he, um, it, it can happen that uh, he could have moved earlier into perhaps, perhaps, he could have moved earlier into that surrender powerlessness that led to the cessation of the torment. He could have moved into that earlier, but whenever he moved into it, it doesn't, to me, uh, determine or indicate how long, for how much longer the torment would have continued without him fighting. He's, uh, his karma, I assume, is good enough so that the... Um, his non the non um, 
the non-participatory torment, where he wasn't participating in fighting, that didn't last too long. But for others, it could last very, very long, where they are on the ground and the torment goes on for a very much longer time. Uh, certainly, to shorten the time in hell, <laughs> one needs to develop fourth and fifth and sixth chakra. The answer is always the same. The answer is always the same. What What is good is of uh, green ray, blue ray, indigo ray. What is harmful is blockage in the lower triad. And um, yes, I guess you can pray, you can do a mantra, you can ask God or Jesus or whoever, the higher self or any higher benevolent being for assistance. That could shorten the time in the realm as it did for Harwood Storm. Um, but there certainly is free will in lower realms, but that free will is limited karmically too. And so he, there may have been other options that he didn't see. In, in our daily life, there are many options we don't see. So we experience free will, but it's actually a limited free will. And as uh, love, wisdom, will, or fourth, fifth, sixth chakra qualities are developed, the range of the free will increases as well. And so uh, there, uh, the, quote, certain amount of suffering that needs to be experienced for karma to be exhausted is really what we're unable to prevent or stop. What we can't, what, what, is, what we feel is harmful or of the four worldly, unpleasant worldly winds in this dimension, right? Um, physical pain, material or social loss, uh, social or interpersonal blame, social or interpersonal dishonor. Um, it's common we have those coming and going. Um, the length of how long they go on, um, regardless of our mental state at the time, regardless of our free will, um, is somewhat predetermined but also influenced by how we meet the karma, sure. But again, how long it's going to go, we don't know. Uh, when, or how long it will continue and when it will leave, we don't know. Uh, when um, wholesome karmic consequence of a positive attitude and meeting traumatic catalysts, when that's going to kick in and, and lead to coming off the bottom of the wheel, when that happens, we don't know. Or when that will occur, we don't know. Um, and so there's a whole lot, but surely um, the way of um, the way of meeting traumatic catalyst is um, basically, uh, you know, again acceptance and understanding uh, and taking responsibility, knowing that I got myself here, and even if they're uh, tormenting me. Uh, I establish the karmic roots for their tormenting torment of me. So again, it's long, long. Uh, next question: What makes karma dormant or defunct? <laughs> um, dormant in the sense that it hasn't ripened yet, as Tibetans say. Uh, what makes it well, higher self, uh, you know, is the um, is the unrecognized uh, party here. In Buddhist theory, there is no discussion of Atman, although Gautama didn't say there is no self. 
he really did say there is no self in the skandhas. So all the five constituents of the sense of self is not a self. Um, but doesn't mean there isn't something else that is a beingness. But you see, even a higher self is impermanent. Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, what is self anyway? Self is identity. Identity is what? Identity is some sense of subjectivity. Me. Me, not you. Now, that is a, a fundamental dualistic consciousness or ignorance-based misunderstanding because it rejects unity. Unity means I is you, you is me. All is one. One is all. All the many is one. And so the fashioning or the, the sense of any kind of separative identity is, uh, you know, uh, a video-based uh, false sense of self or empty or insubstantial. It's apparently real and essentially insubstantial. And so um, any kind of sense of self um, is going to be associated with presence in the octave, but if you really uh, pull away the identifications of that self, I am the body, I am the Scott, I am the personality, I am Atman, I am a wanderer, all that stuff's thrown away. I am mind, body, spirit complex, I am the seven chakras, I am the seven rays, I am the seven bodies with the seven chakras, mind, body, spirit complex, and all that. And, and understand that that's all a vehicle of the Logos, or that's a vehicle of unbound presence. Then we um, have a little bit more sophisticated reality-based sense of self. And so karma, do karma dormant, uh, whether it's uh, held dormant or not yet uh, put into play or ripening in a, in a 3D manifest way, uh, surely is moderated, in my view, by that Atmanic beingness, uh, which Buddhism basically doesn't discuss. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That doesn't mean it's uh, substantial either. Atman is insubstantial, of course. It's a temporary, uh, it's a temporary formation, of course. But karma, basically, uh, you know, <laughs> this is uh, this. Ask the lords of karma why karma is dormant. It isn't dormant. It isn't. It's just not three D um, materially manifest. It's present in the seven dimensional, seven chakra, seven energy field octave uh, vehicle selfhood octave self mind body spirit being this totality complex the seven dimensional self or the seven dimensional vehicle of the logos same that's where karma that isn't yet manifest is resident and what's defunct the, the defunction <laughs> the defunction of karma or exhaustion it's the same i think is basically that a certain momentum has has been exhausted. It's like you throw the ball, and it rolls for as rolls and bounces for as um, far as the the impelling force allows, given the law, the laws of gravity and motion. And likewise, multidimensional karmic exhaustion um, is you know, um, subs is subsidiary or, or determined by metaphysical karmic law, which is seven-dimensional law of the interplay of intelligent energy as it um, affects itself in the seven vibrational, you know, 
seven dimensional seven chakra seven body form the interplay of intelligent energy um, in the seven rays or as seven rays or seven you know basic frequencies of light that those laws uh, are the laws of karma and those laws which are seven dimensional <laughs> and and determined by the logos and known only or fully um, uh, operationalized by the lords of karma eighth density it seems to me and a Gautama or Buddha could you know Gautama and Nityananda know about that they would know what establishes the function or exhaustion of karma but it's it's not uh, it's as lawful as the 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 ceasage uh, the stoppage of motion the ceasing of motion uh, of of a billiard ball on a table as uh, the philosopher said so uh, these are the laws of metaphysics next question uh, where does karma rise stand in the five skandhas um, it seems to me that karma which is basically um, raw said again uh, something called inertia and inertia again is the the property or the tendency of, of an object to continue its current um, condition um, if not interrupted and it's sort of a very subtle and mm, perhaps not the best analogy for karma and it's very you know karma <laughs> it's you you really we won't know it around we won't know the 360 degrees of, of what karma is and its operation until we're out of the octave so every analogy is limited uh, in tibetan buddhism they talk about white and black marbles and this is super simplistic good karma white bad karma black and um karmic return is the the degree of harmony or or happiness we may feel the good or bad mix of karmic return is the good or bad mix of of the white and black marbles meaning the uh, degree of wholesome unwholesome skillful unskillful in the karmic cause uh, the <laughs> the karma as uh, karma um in the five skandhas the five skandhas is the seven dimensional vehicle the seven chakras seven energy fields mind body spirit beingness totality complex the seven dimensional uh, self which is a seven dimensional vehicle of the logos so let's just say the whole thing is not a self it's a vehicle of Paramatman. It's a vehicle of, of the Logos. It's a vehicle of the Creator. The creation is a vehicle of the Creator. It's an embodied, it's a manifest, uh, it's an apparent, it's a light manifestation of the mind of the Creator. Likewise, the seven dimensional mind, body, spirit, beingness, beingness, totality, complex, that beingness um, is not different than uh, or or it includes the five skanda set so the five skanda set is particularly um the um so-called self um that exists that begins in second density and ends in six two three four five six dimensional uh, apparent selfhood is akin to the five skanda set which is mind body spirit beingness complex
the totality complex, seven density uh, beingness, is somewhat outside the five skandhas because it's beyond dualistic consciousness. So you can say that in the seven-dimensional vehicle, uh, karma particularly uh, operates, you know, it operates throughout the seven, um, the seven bodies, um, and the, the skandhas, you see, the skandhas are just a qualitative way of talking about the seven energy bodies, okay? Mind, body, spirit, being this totality complex as the octave self, in quotation marks, is just another way of talking about um, a sevenfold differentiation of intelligent energy that has beingness or consciousness. And so, uh, karma is basically um, inertial, is a nature, is an inertial quality to seven dimensional selfhood energy fields. The uh, seven, the, the seven-dimensional self. Let's just say, use that the seven-dimensional vehicle, uh, beingness, uh, vehicle of the logos, beingness itself, beingness self. <laughs> so, uh, again, it seems to me that um, what we call karma. Um, like Ra's um, analogy to inertia, um, represents a certain kind of um, vibratory quality uh, of the seven chakras, uh, of each chakra, and um, a certain kind of um, motion, having been set into motion, of the seven-dimensional energy field uh, of the apparent self. And so, um, particularly, um, it, it's associated with, with craving, or, or um, uh, karma is really made by uh, uh, dualistic sense of self-desiring, uh, or the three poison, uh, basically grasping and aversion. Uh, the arising of uh, tana, and so then... Uh, in the let me see where to go with this um, well I ignorance is needed for karma to arise <laughs> um, avidya is the basis of karma and um, if you look at the twelve nidanas and let me send a link there if we talk about the 12 uh, links that lead uh, to reincarnation or associated with reincarnation, um, actually before samskara is ignorance. And there are many, many <laughs> levels of analysis that can go into this, but um, karma is not a thing. It's actually... Uh, the it, it's blockage of the seven ray blockage and um, a lack of development of the seven ray system and uh, at our level it's particularly associated with patterns of mind 
associated with um, grasping and aversion, meaning uh, desire and um, rejectionism or, or hatred and anger. Now, the Arahats um, may still have had preferences, I assume, like one guy who stays vegetarian, the other one eats meat. Uh, that's obviously the case. <laughs> Gautama ate meat, and, so some, and some Arahats didn't. Some monks don't, but some do. Uh, is that itself uh, grasping? Maybe uh, not. Obviously, if they're an Arahant, then it's not. Why? Because the, the root of ignorance is cut. They still could be said to be experiencing uh, a form, body, because they're still incarnate. The sensations of the body, meaning uh, taste in the mouth when they eat. Uh, perceptions of taste, perceptions of their having a body and taking food and uh, walking, walking around, they still um, may have some skara, but actually that's probably <laughs> very minimal, if any, and I wouldn't know. Does an arhat have some skara? Well, if they don't have ignorance, then you can say they don't have some skara in the sense that they're not mentally fashioning interpretations beyond um, beyond what is. On the other hand, you know, Gautama uh, called some people wise and there's a designation, the wise and the worthy versus the fool. Um, so there's a chapter in Dhammapada called the fool. Now is their determination, is Gautama's determination that there is a wise and worthy, there's a community of wise and worthy, and there are people who are called fools, is that samskara? <laughs> That's based in ignorance. Well, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't know. <laughs> it's beyond me. But um, merely naming some, identifying an entity, uh, one as wise and one as foolish, uh, can be done by a, by a Buddha. It was done by Gautama. So it just shows that, that our understanding of this is hope, hopelessly limited, actually, because it seems like you can say Gautama calling this one wise and that one foolish is samskaric, is a fashioning or a fabrication or interpretation or naming activity, right? It's conceptual labeling, but Gautama or the Arhats are free of ignorance. Um, uh, this is beyond my achievement, <laughs> so I can't really tell you, but um, to say that um, karma exists in the five skandhas is not quite so because the five skandhas are basically uh, empty also and so karma is empty too empty meaning it's insubstantial or it's impermanent it's, um, it arises and passes away it's the tendency of uh, beingness um, to remain as it is rather than uh, continue evolving or the, the, the tendency of the seven chakra system or the five skanda self set to remain as it is this is the, the term inertia uh, karma as inertia rather than continue development meanwhile as it is is, is impermanent or anatta too meaning what is is apparent or in, is basically a snapshot uh, of a unified system in flux, a limited snapshot, a limited 
conceptual naming of uh, basically infinity <laughs> in apparent motion. So um, that's why Ross said you are not living in a material universe, you're dancing thoughts. And so the, the idea that form is emptiness and emptiness is form applies to karma too. So karma as um, the tendency of, of a seven-dimensional beingness to remain as it is, or some kind of um, limited, you know, countless, um, delimited um, tendencies set into motion that will end when their motive um, causal force is exhausted. That uh, totality in apparent motion where there's some some processes arise and pass away that's karma too and yet that whole thing is uh, illusory Ross said the illusion of limits and so the tendency of the total seven-dimensional vehicle or apparent self um, to be uh, to remain um, without continued evolution or uh, a, a resistance to evolution is also karma going on where does free will stand in the karma process and how does it influence karma this is where we'll end for today um, again um, form is emptiness emptiness is form so our what we call free will or our appear the appearance of free will our experience our limited Mm, uh, kind of empty <laughs> if you want to say insubstantial but this illusory or impermanent influx um, experience of free will um, basically is an experience of choice and so um, it's um, the, the experience of free will is fashioned um, or a karmic product itself as I've said there's a range a particular range of what anyone experiences as free will which ex increases as one develops uh, and it influences karma obviously by um, the quality of the choices we make where the actions uh, the, ch the actions let's say you know there's thought word and deed the word and the deed is the manifestation of the thought or the mind the basis um, it's not that um, the choice of word, it's not only, let's say, it's not only the specific choice of word and deed, as I've said, that determines the karma, but the state of mind, or the, the, the totality of the mind complex that uh, from which the thought, the word and the deed arose or emitted or came forth, uh, it's that mainly that determines karma uh, the word the very uttering of a word uh, any speech and the very uh, taking of a physical action or deed or behavior reinforces the state of mind that gave birth to them and that reinforcement by word and deed of the underlying thought or intentional set and deep beliefs 
uh, core beliefs and deep values, that reinforcement um, itself is closer to the heart of, of karmic formation, it seems to me. And the experience of free will represents then our uh, present moment awareness uh, of, of options, uh, particularly for speech and deed, or uh, word and act, physical activity, which actually represents a range of uh, reinforceables or, or conditions of mind that may be reinforced by the choice of speech or, uh, and, and deed, word and deed. And so it just so happens then that um, we experience some free will, <laughs> and um, that um, those choices reinforce the causal basis of, of, of what's chosen. The choosing reinforces the basis of, of, uh, of the choosing. And um, it simply is, a, is another phenomenon that changes along the way, the experience of free will. Uh, and it's empty too, um, or impermanent, um, but it's critical, <laughs> and so um, will is the driver of the path, or the driver of soul evolution. The driver, um, or the engine, is will um, that has some experience of freedom, meaning free will or choice. Uh, and so there's strong will and weak will, and there is a clear and confused application of will. Um, but even though uh, it's all sort of like a dream, um, it is critical um, to acknowledge the importance of uh, the fact we have choices. And so you can, so they say you want to change your life, change your mind. You can change your mind. And it, it, you can work from the inner outer and you can work from the uh, outer inner you can work both we ought to work both from deep analysis or understanding of our motivations where i'm coming from as well as an analysis of um the particular choices of speech and deed that we um, perceive in any one moment what what could i do if it seems like i don't know what to do and there are a few choices um it, it's important to take a moral view of not only the moral value of uh, those apparent choices of speech and deed, but the consequences of um, what we're saying and doing. And so we can actually uh, reject certain courses of action by um, a deep understanding of the probable consequences that we wouldn't that may be unhelpful. So anyway, it just goes on and on and on. Um, they're, they're good questions, they're deep questions, and it just, uh, you know, reinforces the, 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 intense, the, the intensity or the uh, enormity of the, of the issue of karma. Uh, and uh, as a being evolves on the path, the notion, the understanding of karma changes. Because the, the, um, the understanding of, of apparent selfhood changes. And the focus, the, the distinction between outer and inner, first there's a clarified understanding of outer inner, 
meaning speech and deed seems outer, and thought and motivational basis seems inner. And uh, the apparent outer, out, outer and inner, both can be understood more fully. And um, the nature of causality, um, as as a law of the of the octave, causality as the law as a as a primary law of the octave, um, is more and more appreciated as the means by which um, you know, as Ra would say, the the creator's original desire that entities seek and become one becomes achieved. The way that entities, the the laws, or the um, the parameters within which entities seek and become one, is primarily the law of karma. Those parameters are primarily karmic causality. Uh, and so, an intricate understanding is not essential. Um, but carefulness in daily life and speech and deed is most important. So, thank you very much. I hope it's been helpful. Take good care and see you next time. Okay, good night.